This is the Poetry in Motion podcast on the Blood Red channel with Neil Fitzmorris, bringing you all the big news and even bigger views on Liverpool FC. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Poetry in Motion. The season has started uh, very, very exciting as well, and uh, we'll talk more about it right now. We've got two uh, guests. They're back. You know the old song, So Good They Named Them Twice? Well, these were so good, they brought them back twice. Back-to-back appearances for Theo Squires and Dan Kay. Hello, boys. How are we? Good to see you, Fitz. Fitzy. Good to see you. It's always good to see you, Dan, my mate. And Theo, you OK, pal? Yeah, all good. Clogging away Excellent. nicely. Uh, can't complain when Liverpool winning, can you? Not even conceding. Great start to the season. Well, let's get cracking with that, shall we then? Dan, so I'll come to you first. Two out of two, five scored, non-conceded. Not a bad start for the Reds, my friend, with a rubbish squad. Well, listening to some of our supporters talk, you think you'd be lucky you think we'll be lucky to stay up and if we finish if we finish outside the bottom three, that's a tremendous achievement. I mean, you know, with the greatest of respect to Norwich and Burnley, I would have been concerned if we didn't have six points at this stage. But I think given um the way the summer's gone, obviously the way last season went, the expectations that they, the whole business about getting back to normal and it's almost like an it's almost like a fresh start, you know, a clean slate, a fresh start for everyone with fans back. I think all we wanted to see was a couple of little signs that, you know, the Liverpool that we've known and loved for the last few years that kind of went missing in action really for most of the second half of last season. That that there were signs of of, of of that returning, and I think over the last couple, over the um, the first two games, I think there have been some encouraging signs that way. I mean, like I say, you can't read too much into it because we haven't played top quality opposition, but some of the football plays, some of the fluency, um, which you know, which no one's going to have a hundred percent at this stage of the season, um, ha- has been there. There's, you know, there's, there's been some like you know some strong defensive play. Some you know some good creativity. I think we were all made up to see Harvey Elliott get a go on Saturday, and and, and really impressed with how he he really seized the chance and put in a really a really great ninety minute performance. And it's all building very nicely towards you know the first really big game of the season on Saturday against Chelsea, who I think I'm saying are also basically played two one two, scored five, conceded none. So it's it's all bubbling to the surface nicely ahead of Saturday tea time. Yeah, absolutely, Dan. And Theo, we talked before because obviously the, our previous podcast was before the start of the season. So it was just leading up to the Norwich game and we had concerns or maybe just doubts about whether um, Van Dijk would appear. And if so, for how long would it be in a, um, would it be in the cut and thrust of the Premiership? But um, the Rolls-Royce has been finely tuned. It's had a service and, and was very much back in action. I mean, he was just majestic, wasn't he? And again, I know we have to take these results with a pinch of salt, but particularly I would imagine with the Burnley never give you the top, never give you an easy game and, and post-match comments by Klopp kind of back that up. So he's come through certainly one of one of the most combative teams that you're likely to get in, in the premiership. And he's, uh, and he's just spraying that ball around beautifully. He looks like he's, uh, he's backing it with his swagger feel. Yeah, definitely. Like we said, um, didn't we on the last pod, that pre-season, everything went perfectly in terms of players coming back from injury, your new signing playing well, your youngsters playing well, your front was for men getting the goals. And it's just been the same, isn't it, at the start of the season? Granted, we've not seen Kanata yet, but when you've got all your front four scoring, you've got Harvey Elliott getting a chance, and you, Gomez is back from injury, got his little appearance in the last game. But then Van Dijk doesn't look like a player who's been out for a year, does he? Like you've said there, him spraying the passes around. 
But what was telling, I think there's two things really from what Liverpool really missed last year. One is that threat at set pieces. Like we've seen it at both ends where there was that spell last season where Liverpool didn't look like they'd ever score from a set piece again to the extent that Tim Sherwood made a, a silly person of himself when Liverpool scored that late winner against Tottenham. He said, oh, they're not going to score this. But it's one where um, <laughs> he, he makes such a difference, doesn't he? Like every single corner, every single free kick, you expect him to get on the end of it. Wh- whichever box it's in, he's going to clear it or he's going to get a header and get a shot on goal. And even if he doesn't win the header, Liverpool are on the edge of the box to get that second ball. And you've seen it every time there's been a set piece, whether it's Salah scoring against Norwich or Harvey Elliott picking up the pieces, Trent picking up the pieces. That, that's a huge difference. Liverpool actually look a threat from their crosses again, from their set pieces again. And then it's the fact that the fullbacks can get forward. Like for so long last season, they struggled without Van Dijk because they couldn't just have the two centre-backs sitting back. The full-backs weren't able to express themselves. Liverpool lost that creativity. But now we've seen Simicast get an assist. We've seen Trent get an assist. They can both get forward. And you know, with Van Dijk, even if he's not fully fit yet, he's just going to sweep everything up. Granted, it's Norwich, it's Burnley. It's going to be a very different test against Romelu Lukaku. But it's still... Ashley Barnes, Chris Wood, these combative forwards, uh, Timu Piki, are such a good start last time he was in the Premier League. And they've come through them pretty well. Like There's been the odd iffy moment, I suppose, where there's been a mix-up defensively. Like um, Burnley could have scored, I think, where there was that mix-up with communication. Allison came out, missed his punch. <laughs> Apart from that, they've come through it all swimmingly. And when you think these two players have been out for so long at centre-back and they've just picked up this partnership, they've both got a pass on them, they've both got that pace on them, they've got both that physical nature on them. It's hard to get past them. And you think, well, even if one of them has a little setback, you just bring on Canato, you just bring on Joe Gomez. So strange how quickly things change in football because this is like polar opposites of what they've been saying about Liverpool six months ago. But it really is looking all good for them. And you can see that it really was a special team that won the Premier League title and that was strengthened rather than it just being one fluky one-off season. And then and this was the real Liverpool we saw last year where everything just fell apart. Yeah, extraordinary. And Theo's just touched on it, Dan, but what an extraordinary difference one player can make in a sense that the threat he carries up front, Van Dijk as well, and getting on the end of stuff, but just being able to allow um, the left and right backs to go charging forward, you know, and and, and knowing there's, there's that stability at the back and, um, and and then his distribution. How many times last season, Dan, did we concede goals and we all looked at each other and said, that wouldn't have gone in if Van Dijk was in the side. He, he has that air of him, doesn't he? He has that quality. He's constantly talking to the other players behind him and around him, just saying, calm down, move here, move there. And um, and also great to see that the five goals have been scored by our five stri- our strikers, isn't it? You know, we've, you, they're all on the score sheet. Jota, Mane, Saleh and Firmino, it's, that's that's great to see that that's getting distributed around there as well, which lets you know, really, that they're all uh, chomping at the bit, Dan. Absolutely. I mean, in terms of Van Dijk, we've, we've all spoken many times about, you know, what a transformative signing he was for Liverpool, you know, three and a half years ago when he came in. In all my time watching football, in all my time watching sports, I can only think of a very small handful of examples where one player has come in and made such an impact. And it's, and obviously, he's got a very, very deep and varied skill set. So, with EO, so, he obviously, so technically, he brings a lot to the party, but <clears throat> certain certain figures just have presence, don't they? And you know, through, through the way they carry themselves, through their mentality, through their professionalism, through their leadership. And ever since Van Dyke's walked through the door in January, 18, in, in January 2018, we've seen that from him. The only other football example I can ever really think of is and it's one I, I, 
I, I feel more comfortable making now, now that now that we've had a bit of success of, of our own. But Cantona, w- 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 when he went to Manchester United, and for years I hated saying that because obviously their rise coincided with our decline. But the the difference between making a good team into a winning team, and that's what Van Dijk did for us. That's what Cantona did for them. That's what Kevin Peterson argued for the England cricket team when he first came in. It's very very rare that that one individual can have that kind of impact and. It, it is almost like we've signed him again because obviously he missed the vast majority of last season and we've, we've all spoken to the nth degree about the knock-on effects of that. He's, and he's not even fully fit yet, is he? You know what I mean? It, you know, he, he's still only really kind of like in probably third gear. It's probably going to take a month or two for him to get that real kind of match fitness, match sharpness back that can only come through playing matches at the highest level. It's, you know, when someone has an injury of this nature... There is always that kind of doubt. Will he ever? Will he come back the same player? And I don't think we can really. I don't think we can really make a, a proper informed judgment on that. Really, and probably still a few minutes into the season. But you know, this isn't the nineteen seventies. You know, medical science being what it is, there's no physical reason why he shouldn't come back. He's thirty. He's just turned thirty, hasn't he? So, um, you know, he's not getting. He won't be getting any younger. He won't be getting any quicker. But I don't think he'll necessarily be getting much slower anytime soon either, because he's a, he's a magnificent physical specimen. He's obviously a completely dedicated professional. You know, you don't. You just know that he will have been taken on board every single little bit of advice. There'll be no one that'll be wanting him to get back to his absolute premium best than, than the lad himself. And you know, I think that's something that we've got to look forward to as the season progresses. Seeing, you know, Virgil Van Dyke two point or three which we, he might even actually even come back better than before. And just in terms of the goals, that's that's hugely important, isn't it? I mean. Sadio Mane didn't have his greatest season by last season, by you know last campaign by by any stretch of the imagination. Um, Mo, Mo Salah does what Mo Salah does, doesn't he? There's more, a lot of talk about Bobby Firmino. You know, is his time coming to an end? But but he's already you know he, he's been on the field what two or three minutes um, at Norwich before he bags. Jota the slaughter has this lovely knack of, of sometimes really really been appearing to be on like the fringe of, of, of a match, and then he'll pop up with the ball in the back of the net. So, yeah, it, it, I hadn't even really considered that until you mentioned it then, Neil. But it, it is great that, you know, that, that all the strikers have already got at least one under the belt. And you know, one thing that if I think if Liverpool really are to challenge for the top prizes this year, obviously we need them all to be you know, firing on all cylinders, the defenders be, to be chipping in with a few as well. But the midfield, you know, it, we, we, we need to be getting, you know, a couple of, a couple of midfielders getting eight to ten goals. Because you know the, the bar will. I think once the season settles down, and you know, the, the, a, a lot of our main challenges have have bought well, have strengthened well. The likes of United, City, Chelsea. I don't see it being a two horse race this year. I think I think it is going to be tight. I, th- I still think you're going to need to get close on ninety points or a bit higher to win it. But if we're going to do that, I think we, we're going to need our midfielders to, to start shipping in with a few. I'm sure, we'll come on to Naby Keita in a bit. He's had a good a good start to the season, and maybe. A slightly different role than what we first envisaged him in as a red shirt, but I think as the season goes on, it's the likes of him, the likes of Henderson, who we're going to be requiring to kind of just come to the party when on on the rare occasions that the front lads aren't able to deliver. Well, let's get onto it right now. It was a great point made by Dan. It was a point I was I, I was going to make myself really that in if you look at this uh, the blueprints of Liverpool, if you look at an aerial shot of Liverpool's eleven. You've got back five ticking boxes, you know, and and strength in there. Um, front four doing what the front four do, or front three, sorry. You've got that midfield area, then, haven't you? And 
with the departure of um, of Gini Alden and then what a lot of Liverpool fans, uh, a bit of a bugbear is the fact that there hasn't really seemed to have been any strength, strengthening in that area. Shakiri's gone now. Um, they got rid of um, other players um, close season. Is that where we're going to suffer three? Oh, do you think we have the strength and depth? Naby Keita has definitely made a good start. We always have the same doubts about Naby Keita, how much of the season we're going to get out of him. Uh, is is that where, if anything, Liverpool danced talking about a couple of midfield players popping up with eight or nine goals each? Have we? Uh, is it likely that we're going to see that? Is it likely we're going to see that from Jordan Henderson? Fabinho, you've got to say, has, has got to start staking a claim in that side at some point, uh, hopefully at the weekend. Um, where do those 10-plus goals come from from midfield, do you think? Uh, it depends how they set the team up, really. Because when you've got the front four playing as well as they are scoring goals... There's no reason why when all the midfielders are up to full fitness, when that's Henderson back after the Euros, Thiago back after his little injury, Fabinho back after his bereavement, that they can't do 4-2-3-1. Like those three central midfielders, we know in a three, that's probably your first choice, but they could easily be two of them in with all forwards playing and they're going to get you the goals. But then it's when we're in the 4-3-3 at the weekend. Henderson was the number six, did a great job as number six. You wouldn't think he hadn't started again for six months. But he was still getting forward, wasn't he? He was still getting into the box, putting crosses in. We know Harvey Elliott can get goals. He did it in the Championship last year. Granted, it's a big step up, step up going from Championship to Premier League. But he's 18. He's got the talent. We're going to see that rise in him. Curtis Jones, we know he's got it in his locker as well. And then you've still got Naby Keita, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. They can deliver goals. Minamino's still there and he can play in that midfield. The question isn't about the quality in Liverpool's options or the quantity in Liverpool's options. It's where you can give some of them minutes if some of them can stay fit. Because if you were saying you've signed Naby Keita this summer or Oxlade-Chamberlain this summer or even Harvey Elliott, say he'd been a proper permanent Blackburn player, he has the season he does, and Liverpool go, thanks, we'll have a bit of that 18-year-old who's just bossed it in the championship. You're happy with that. That is a good window. You've strengthened your midfield, you've looked to the future, and you've got the options there. The only problem is, does Keita break down from injury again? Does Oxlade-Chamberlain break down from injury again? Can you give Minamino or Elliot the minutes they need to really stake a claim on this team? But when Liverpool have got all these players back from injury, Klopp will be able to rotate more. Like he said repeatedly last year, the reason they couldn't rotate was because that spine was ripped out of the team. He couldn't have a different back four every week. He had to stick with Alexander-Arnold. He had to stick with Simicas. And then with the midfield, it was basically, well, Fabinho's back now. He has to play in that every week. They didn't have Henderson. Thiago just had to play through it. They lost Yota, Jota for however many months. and they, It was just powering through. Well, now they've got the options. They can rotate. They can look at it and uh, see which opponent they face and go, we fancy 4-2-3-1 today. We'll put all four of the forwards on and they will get your goals. Or we can go 4-3-3, go for that experienced heads. But then Harvey Elliott's an exciting player to come on. We know what all these other options can do. The, the depth is there. They can get the goals. They've done it before. It's just about getting that consistency. And it's not something Liverpool have been able to see for 18 months now for a variety of reasons, from the lows of the pandemic and the injuries of last season to the highs of challenging for a Premier League title and just needing to get other points on the board to get it over that line. Well, now it's starting from scratch. So it is really everyone can state that claim and show why they should be in this starting eleven. Poetry in Motion on the Blood Red Channel. Dan touched on it. Uh, Harvey Elliott, I mean, hats off to that kid starting the game. 
you know, he looked like he'd been playing for years, didn't he? He looked like that, that he was midway through a season, at least. He was comfortable on the ball, um, very much a part of Sadio Mane's uh, goal with that lovely given goal that Trent flicked on beautifully to, to Sadio Mane. But that's a kid who clearly, you can watch some footballers, Dan Carney, and think, well, maybe the pressure's going to get to him. I don't think, he, he looks to me like he revels in pressure. Only that kid, he's been waiting to do this for a long yeah. time. Klopp, Klopp said, I read some quotes from Klopp yesterday where he said, you know, you know, similar to what you've said there, he looks like a proper Liverpool player already, even though this was only his first ever Premier League start. And I think his involvement in in the second goal, I think, shows that kind of maturity and composure that he's already got, which seems you know, way beyond his years. It was, it was a fantastic switch from, Vir, from Virgil van Dijk to him. And he's right on the touchline. And I think most players, probably plenty of players who are quite a bit older than him, would just have you know played the you know a simple header inside. I think he did have Mo Salah making a run inside him, but he's he wants the ball. He wants to get on the ball. He, he's confident enough in his touch to trap it. You know a 60, 70 yard spin and pass, kill it dead straight away. Had the awareness to see Trent making the run forward, and you know it, Liverpool have scored some magnificent goals over the last few years. I'm sure we're going to score some absolute belters this year. But that you know that was as good as I think anything that that we'll see over the course of the season in terms of the different aspects of the team all coming together in in, in harmony from you know from the defence and the midfield Trent joining the midfield and this cute little first time ball into Mane and what I, what I love the, the finish as well the way Mane hit it like right on the top of the bounce um, you know it, it it really was a, an absolute work of art um, that goal the, the other thing I liked about Elliot as well was that you know it was interesting I think. Everyone was quite shocked when he got when he got the start. I didn't necessarily expect you know Klopp to name, to name the same eleven as at Carrow Road as, as at Carrow Road. But when you know, when the notifications come through on your phone, and obviously the headline is Harvey Elliott starts. Don't really think anyone seen that coming. And you wouldn't necessarily think a team of farmers like Burnley would be the natural best fit for him. But the more you thought about it, the more it kind of made sense. And it was you know, maybe it was almost a way from Klopp's point of view, kind of testing his metal a little because he got clobbered quite early on, didn't he? In the first five years, there was a you know one of the, one of the Burnley midfielders left a bit of a late one on him, and other players, you know, the Anfield occasion, your Premier League debut, you know, coming back on after, after your know, successful loan spell in at Blackburn, he might have some players might have retreated into their shadows a little bit, but it almost kind of seemed it almost seems almost to fire up a little bit and kind of right well right well I'll show you, and. You know, he, he, I was I was made up. He got the ninety minutes. What I liked about him as much as anything, as much as anything else, was his willingness to keep trying things. Not everything he tried came off. I remember there was one spell, Pat, that might have been early in the second half, where he, he gave the ball away maybe three or four times in in a couple of minutes. But this, you know, when people talk about bravery, uh, you know, in football, it isn't always just about blocking shots and last ditch tackles and putting your head where other people won't put their boots. It's being prepared to try things up, to try things and make things happen, and you know to break the lines in a, in a tight game to make the difference. When you've given the ball away a couple of times, it's very easy to retreat into your shell. Oh. Just give it simple sideways and back. You won't make a mistake. The crowd won't get on your back. I've seen you have plenty of older, more experienced, mature players than Elliot who have done that. Whereas what 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 really encouraged me about Elliot during that particular spell was that it didn't bother him. He was still trying his flicks. You know, not everything came off, but he was still prepared to try and make things happen. That, to me, says this is someone who's got the temperament to succeed at the highest level, and hopefully, hopefully, we will see that happen with, with Liverpool. Yeah, I'm absolutely. Just, you know, I was just going to jump sure. in here and say, with Elliot, we can't not discuss the disallowed goal. That assist oh, what a ball. What a ball. It was incredible. Such good vision. And it's one where I think you can relate to him, can't you? Like, he's not a scouser. 
but every Liverpool fan can say he's living the dream, isn't he? He's playing alongside Mohamed Salah, and you can tell every time he's on the ball, he's just loving linking up with one of the greatest players on the planet, playing for the club he's supported pretty much all his life. Um, I, I covered a couple of games at Blackburn last year just to see how he was doing, and it was one where he was in and out of matches, but the players you were playing with, they're not the same Liverpool as Liverpool's Premier League, European and World Champions. He'd do a great pass and they wouldn't be on the same wavelength. So it looks like he's given the ball away. Whereas if you've got Trent Alexander-Arnold cussing in, sprinting to the box, they got on the end of it. And you can see he has become a man, hasn't he, in this lone spell. He's learnt the toughness of what you need to play in the Football League lower down. But he's shown that he's a level above it as well. The fact that he could go straight in and thrive. And the fact that he's playing in this team that have been challenging for trophies year after year and he looks like he's been part and parcel of it for years himself. Uh, it's just one way you love to see him playing with a smile on his face. I know he was. He said, didn't he, the other day that he was angered that he didn't score that goal in the friendly when it hit the post against it. Was it Bill Bow? It's like, well, that, that goal's going to come because he's just someone that'll get you off your seat and get you excited because he can do things with the ball. And this is an 18-year-old who's raw, is going to make mistakes. As Dan's just said, he's going to make the odd dodgy decision where he's passed it the wrong way or anything. But when he gets it right, it will get you off your seat and it will excite fans. And that's what we saw with that disallowed goal. It's like, oh, the vision there. We were all up in the press box and just applauding that pretty much. And it's just such a shame that uh, it was chalked off. Uh, something else we can, I suppose, have a go at VAR for, even though it was annoyingly the right decision. But yeah, if that's what we got to see from the first game against Burnley when it's a really physical encounter for him, give him half a season in the Premier League and then we'll be seeing that so much more. Yeah, absolutely. And the mistakes he made, but to be honest with you, I mentioned it when we were watching it, there were mistakes that he was making because he was just trying that little bit too hard. It wasn't sloppiness. It was more the fact that he was he was just, he was overcomplicating some of the things he was trying to do because he was wanting to impress that much, I think, which is the youth side of him, you know what I mean? There was a few little things where he should have done something a little bit more simpler, but he went for it. But as you say, they are going to come out. They, when they do come off, they're, they're spectacular. We'll have to have a word as well about Costa Simitas as well, because, or Tomiskas, however you want it, the, the great de debate of his name goes on, uh, depending on who you're asking. Now, so it's about five different ways of, of pronouncing it. But uh, there's another player who, who, who obviously struggled last season, getting into the side, trying to establish himself. But uh, another player who, who relished the opportunity, and also when you consider the fact that Andy Robinson's back in training now, because the kid is made out of gear, there's, there's no doubt about it. Um, it's probably a frustrating time for, for Simicast is going to come up again because I think for games like Chelsea, if Andy Robinson is, is on his metal again, you would imagine he's going to slot back in. But Simitas was a was a it was a great performance and he, he you know he assisted the, the first goal from Diogo and and uh, he didn't look out of place at all, Dan. No, far from it. <clears throat> yeah, it, it was a great performance on Saturday against Burnley. I thought he, I also thought he was excellent against Norwich the week before. And it's great news for Klopp because <clears throat> it was well documented at the start of last season. Klopp had said that you know, if all the, if all went to plan, he was you know he was hoping to give Trent and Robertson, you know, the kind of rest that they needed during the season, and that was of course never possible because of the injuries at centre back, and he couldn't basically keep, you know have a, have a makeshift back four, and obviously that to some degree kind of stunted Simakas's progress because he didn't get anything like the kind of game time that he would have done had obviously Liverpool hadn't had this emergency ten ward. Injury crisis from hell, um, but you know, you know he had a good preseason. But we've all seen it before. You know, players can have a good preseason, and it ultimately can't end up counting for nothing. I, I think what's really encouraging now is that Klopp knows 
he's got a, a, a genuine quality backup for Robertson at, at, at left-back. Robertson's been pretty lucky with injuries, really, over the course of the last three or four years. But the nature of the way he plays, you know, the way he gets up and down, there is inevitably going to be wear and tear. And, and if we want our top player, and there's no getting about it, right, Andy Robertson's one of the best left-backs in Europe. You know, he has to be in Liverpool's best eleven. But if we if we want him <clears throat> at his best at the business end of the season in March, April and May, he needs to get sufficient rest over the course of the early season, over the winter. And that is where the likes of Simakas will come into his own. I think we have, we have to make mention as well. And it, it was probably one of those things as well where it might not have come across as well on the TV. It was one of those great kind of in-the-ground moments that obviously we've all been deprived of. The, the, must have been only three or four minutes from the end. It was only actually when I was watching it back. I watched the whole game back on Monday or Tuesday. <clears throat> I realised that he was actually, or he was just about to be substituted. He's yeah. a little bit of a knock on his shoulder. Yeah. And he, he received the ball on the touchline. And all. And I think it was just part of a slightly sloppy touch. And four Burnley players kind of converged on him. And he was that desperate not to give the ball away. He basically <laughs> launched himself chest first at the ball. Somehow managed to kind of get it under, under his body without handballing it. Got up, you know, wriggled away from all four of them, and laid the ball back to you know to what to a red shirt. The crowd went mad. It, yeah. it was a little, it was a little bit like that Andy Robertson moment against Man City in the fourth game. The a lot of people have said that was like yeah. his breakthrough moment. And I think we might look upon that. He obviously put a quality ball in for. You know, he's got a Premier League assistant as well. It was a great ball in for Jota for the opener. But to me, that was actually worth more. But to me, that was more than that. That was worth more than the assist. That is the moment I will take from Saturday in terms of Simicas and um, you know he wasn't intimidated by Burnley I, I saw a tweet from someone at one point during the game saying great to see Simicas out Burnleying Burnley you know he can play but he can mix it as well and that's yeah. a great combination for a fullback well while we're on the subject it's an interesting kind of post-match talk with Klopp as well and we can understand as from a manager who certainly has come back from a season that was blighted and, and, and virtually destroyed by injury but he had some very interesting points to make and I I found Burnley as bad as Burnley always are. I mean, you know, no disrespect. Look, they, they don't have the funding that most teams have. The job that Sean Dyche, the the ginger, the ginger Barry White, I call him. Oh, baby, on the edge of that. Um, he has no money. He doesn't have much resources. He's done an incredible job with that team. But you, but looking as far as playing football against them, they're a bit of an a louse team, aren't they? Let's be honest. They will leave a foot in. They're a bit industrious in in their tackles or industrial in their tackles. Um, Klopp was Klopp was very kind of um, very uh, vocal about it at the end of the match. He's basically saying stuff like it's like wrestling. And but it, I must admit, I have felt during the games I've watched since the season started that referees have clearly been told to try and get the game flowing, make it flow. It, it was so stopped starting last year. There was so much anger with fans and pundits alike saying the game isn't going. It's stopping all the time. So I've, I've enjoyed it, but do you think Klopp has a point when, he, when it comes to, was he just talking about Burnley? Was he talking about, as they've all said, he was trying to lay claim to referees for future games, but where do we stand on that? I mean, you don't want players getting injured. You, you want things to get, you want things to be blown up for, but um, it's nice to see a game flowing as well, Theo, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's a contact sport. It's a contact game. I suppose it's one last year where the refs didn't have fans in the stadiums breathing down their neck, having a go at them. At every single decision so they would just blow for everything if they thought it and they know they had VAR to check but now it's that extra complexity to it 
And that's what you want to see. You want to see the contact sport. Like I know Dan's just mentioned uh, the Simicass out Burnley and Burnley. Well, there was one, I think it was against Goodmanson, when he's basically made him run into his elbow when he's trying to get through one-on-one. And you want to see that nitty-gritty stuff. You want that physical side to it. It makes it more enjoyable game, doesn't it? You have the players thunder into challenges and all this sort of things. And Yes, sometimes it might be one of those 50-50s where it can go either way and you think it's gone too far. But players thrive playing in those situations. They want it to be that competitive. It's like we want it to be that competitive when we're playing five-a-side or Sunday league, never mind the best players on the planet. And it's one where you know what you're going to get from Burnley. That's why they've got the strikers they do. That's why they play the way they do. And that's why they've been very successful with it. But then it's what managers do, don't they? It's what Ferguson did for years. It's what Arsene Wenger, Mourinho, it's what Guardiola does. It's what Klopp does. They make these points to make referees think, to try and get every single advantage they can, be it players going down in the box wanting penalties or for protection for their players. Like Both managers were guilty of it on a Saturday, going straight to that fourth official, complaining about challenges or wanting protection for their players. And Liverpool just happened. It was when players went in on them. Harvey Elliott, but then you'd do that as a manager, wouldn't you? You want that extra protection for your 18-year-old who's making his first Premier League start. It's just part of football. It's um, something that we all missed last season with no fans and how it went. And now I suppose the manager's going to have to get used to moaning about it again because it's back. And like in the summer, we all saw the Euros where it was able to flow a bit more, where VAR wasn't making it blow up every single time something happened. We all enjoyed it so much. Well, we got football back. And now we can see it in the Premier League and it's something I'd much rather Liverpool lost a few 50-50s or Klopp was grumbling about a few elbows or challenges from physical teams than it being so stop-start. Poetry in Motion on the Blood Red Channel. I have to say, and, it, and it's it's a bit of a segue, but it's a bit of a light-hearted segue, I suppose, which is much needed, I guess, is... Um, Every time I look at Klopp now, I think of the million tattoos around the world that are gonna that are null and void because the glasses are gone. Um, <laughs> and as someone who I've recently had double lens replacements because I needed glasses and I was wearing glasses more and more, and I got to an age where it was starting to affect um, my script write, reading and and writing in general and uh, uh, and my stand up. I was I went to the comedy club before it opened again, and I went to a comedy night, and I was thinking I can't see the front row without glasses and driving with glasses. So I, I actually, I had a, a surgery that was uh, that replaced both my lenses actually, which sounds horrendous, but it's a five minute operation on each eye. And it, it's given me 20-20 vision for life. And I think that's what, I presume that's what Klopp's had because you don't need glasses ever again. I mean, you just throw them away. And uh, But I just think about it <laughs> and I've been reading them on Twitter going, where's his glasses? I've got a tattoo. Um, so I think of all them people whenever I see Klopp now, but uh, he looks good, doesn't he? He's one of them, he's one of them people, Dan, isn't he, who actually suits glasses more than not at the moment. Yeah, well, I can imagine there might be a few people, possibly even a, a couple of the markers of people in Liverpool who you remember all those mugs when he when he came out. I am the normal one. So, the, so there might be a, a, a fair degree of rebranding that, that seems to go on there. But I think, look at you, know, certainly early in preseason, he looked like he enjoyed his summer. Klopp, he looked like he, he, he you know, he had. He'd had a couple of beers. He'd had a couple of nice meals. Had a couple of Venus schnitzels. Well, it may well it may well have been a couple of them, yeah. And you know, I think it was very clear that you know last season took its toll on everybody, but it took its toll on the managers. Well, obviously he lost his mum during the course of the season anyway. But yeah, we've we've said it a million times. You know, since you know Klopp's whole thing has been built on this symbiosis between the players and the players, the manager, and the and the crowd. 
And to you know, to have had you know, it was like we had our heart and soul ripped out last season. And I've got to be honest, I, I particularly when we were in that awful spell early in the new year, when it just seemed like everything was going wrong and everything felt so joyless and miserable. I the thought did cross my mind, kind of like you know, at that stage, none of us knew how long this was going to go on for. And you're kind of thinking, you know, how much longer is he going to be prepared to stick this out? Um, I think that was maybe just a little bit of insecurity. I, I can't imagine I was the only fan feeling like that, but probably just a bit of insecurity because after after, after three after three and a bit years of almost everything going right, suddenly everything was going wrong. But I probably maybe you know, uh, what's the word? Underestimated how much of a feeling Klopp has for this club, for this city, for for for, for his boys. You know what I mean? Because you know th- th- it's very clear that that's how he sees them. That you know they are they are his boys. Um, and whatever kind of worries or doubts I felt about has he got has he got the energy has he got the strength has he got the desire to go and build a second great team because that's what he's got to do now do you know what I mean little by little it you know over the course of the next two or three years you know two three four years it is going to be an evolutionary process of gradually moving out some of the older heads getting in the next generation but I think he, he, he looks refreshed and rejuvenated and revitalized after his summer it looks like it's done in the world of good um and if 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 it means that you know, all right, he hasn't got his bins anymore, and a few people have got to redesign the tattoos. Well, I think that's something that that, they, that they'll just have to live with. But if Liverpool keep winning, I don't think they'll mind too much. So be it. So be it, mate. A small price to pay, at least as eyesight's improving anyway. Uh, Theo, uh, that makes the point there. I mean, don't forget, we've got to remember, we were talking about transfers. He has uh, He's locked five players into long-term contracts now. Important players for us. I know there are a couple to go. Um, and that is as, as important as getting new players in, isn't it? When you're locking these players down. The last thing you want when you're trying to build a team and build a, a second coming of the team is for them big players to say, well, actually, I'd rather get off. Um, so he's got them players down. We have until the 31st of August, to either buy or not to buy. To buy or not to buy, that is the question. Mbappe comes out today and says, I mean, Real Madrid have made £137 million, £160 million uh, euro bid for Mbappe that apparently Real Madrid, have, uh, sorry, that uh, PSG have sort of waved off um, remarkably as well, because, I mean, they're talking about Lewandowski as well. They're talking about, there was rumours of a five and a half £100,000 a week Paul Pogba deal. I mean, someone's got to clip the heels of PSG, clip the wings of their spending anyway. But now we're talking Cristiano Ronaldo, who, you know, is uh, 2012, said he'd never want to play for any other club in, in the Premiership apart from Man United. Man City is starting to sniff around and there's a, Christian, there's a chance Cristiano Ronaldo might put on the, um, the sky blue of City. Um, there are still, of course, big transfer questions being spun around Chelsea as well uh, looking at um, Saul Negres is it we, we were looking for um, yeah, the midfielder the midfielder they're looking at him they've just paid 97 million for Romelu Lukaku um, do you think I mean the Mbappe stories with Liverpool won't go away although I, I don't think any Liverpool fan with his head and his, with a brain in his head has ever thought that we were going to get Mbappe just by the, 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 the spending power that Liverpool seem to produce Um do you think that this is the team we're going to see for this season and, and uh, without any additions now, Theo? Um, it depends what other outgoings they can get because there are four or five players you could see move on, aren't they? Um, like we know Divo Carigi, they'll listen to offers. Nat Phillips, they'd be happy to keep him, but you can understand why he might want to go. He could fetch a few million. Uh, I think Gorsty's done a piece today on Shea Ojo and they're hoping to get five million for him. 
and there's a few others like Larry's Karius is still around. Other players like I don't know Nico Williams, Takumi Minamino. It looks like they're going to stay put. But if someone really desperately wanted them and putting them bid, Liverpool would accept. That would raise the the transfer kitty, and then Liverpool would maybe have a bit more room to manoeuvre. Uh, the issue with the squad is they've still got the maximum number of overseas players. And granted, one of them's Karius, and you can say fine, leave them out space to bring someone in. But it is still you've got to make room to bring these players in. You've got to raise the funds to bring these players in. And Liverpool's wage bill is just going up and up and up when they've been given these players new contracts. And you've still got to think, who do you bring in? Where do they fit into that? Like, granted, they brought in Thiago last year and he went to being one of the highest paid players at the club. But it'd be a very different prospect if they went for a Kylian Mbappe, for example. I think the, the reports are saying, what, if Salah signs this contract, he'll be the highest paid player in the club's history on 250 grand a week. Uh, you see Van Dijk, he's probably not going to be too far behind that. Trent's not going to be too far behind that now with his new deal. Neither is Fabinho. You still got Roberto Firmino, one of the highest earners. So all these players, that's that pecking order, isn't it? Of like late 180 to 250. Well, if Mbappe's having a little tantrum at PSG because he's paid less than Neymar and Messi, they're on like half a million a week or something ridiculous like that. You can't bring in a player like that, even if you could somehow put the transfer fee together, because that wage is just going to completely undermine everything Liverpool have done this summer by rewarding the loyal players. They completely undo all that hard work. So that's why they've got to look at the players like Diogo Jota, when you can think, well, he can come in, he can make a difference, and his wage actually fits into that. The transfer fee is affordable. And then it's all the holes in the squad, like like we've been saying here. Um, In midfield, you'd say maybe they do need someone. Up front, maybe they do need someone. But if Takumi Minamino is coming off the bench and making an impact, if Harvey Elliott's making an impact, if Cater and Oxlade Chamberlain are staying fit, do you really need someone? They've got the players there. The only issue people have said, oh, they need the options in the past, is because Minamino wasn't performing because the two midfielders were out injured a lot. But if this is the time where they do step up, they are counted. Liverpool squad's already very strong. Like They've only signed one player this summer, Canate, 36 million. But that's all they desperately needed. Like You go through the starting 11, that was the only hole you had at potentially at centre-back because of the issues last year. Whereas Chelsea desperately needed a striker. United needed a right winger. City needed a striker. They've not got it. They decided to spend 100 million on another number 10, which is obviously very much needed when you can think of all the players they've got who can play that <laughs> position. But that, that's it. Liverpool did all this business two, three years ago when they went and got Allison, when they went and got Van Dijk. We need a new goalkeeper. We need a new centre-back. We'll just go and break the club record, the world record for both positions and get the best players in the positions for those positions. And then for Pino, they did the same thing. That spending was done in 2018. That's why the squad is so strong now. And that's why the focus has been getting off the players who aren't in the team and getting these guys down on new contracts because this team, this spine... It's still going to be one of the best in the next two, three years. And then it's just that gradual replacement. It isn't about going and spending 200 million or whatever on Mbappe and just having a new big name in that front three. It's about a gradual replacement to take over from Amane or Firmino. And to be fair, with the players back from injury, they are demonstrating they can do that. And that's what we've seen from Harvey Elliott so far. It is that gradual transgression in the squad. And with players fit, if they're performing and they're given the opportunities, they have got enough there. But never say never. They are players they want to move on. And if they can get in, I don't know, 10, 15 million for a Phillips or an Origi, that is an extra space in the squad. That is a bit more money in the kitty. Maybe something can come up and they will go, we'll have a bit of that. They've done it before with Oxlade-Chamberlain. It could happen again. But yeah, it, it will go to the wire, which is obviously a rather 
un-Liverpool like thing to do. But I'm sure uh, we'll be all watching rather anxiously, won't we? Trying to see if uh, Liverpool do dip their toes into the market once more. Poetry in motion on the Blood Red Channel. And he makes a great point, Theo. And I think it's one of the things when if, if you're ever having a pint with someone in a pub and they give it that, why don't we buy this guy? Why don't we buy that guy? Why it's not about the fee. It's not about what you're paying for that player. It's about their wage structure and what that does to to destabilize a squad. I mean, Theo's just put it perfectly. If you're sitting, if you're if you're uh, if you're Van Dyke and you're sitting there and you're on, I don't know, one hundred and fifty thousand pound a week, maybe two hundred thousand pound a week, and then you get a kid like Mbappe who comes in, who all the fans are cheering for, but he's on four and a half hundred thousand pound a week. That's I can't believe that there's a team structure based around that because I can't believe that those players go, what's he got that I haven't got? I know he is, but why isn't I getting there? And that's when you get all that interim sort of squabbling. And I never, ever associate Liverpool Football Club with that kind of squabbling. And I, never, and, and I hope I never will. And I think we have to just have the... I think a lot of it is, is the, is, it's the FIFA... Um, it's the FIFA... FIFA uh, games console sort of generation. Yeah, Whenever yeah, I hear yeah, someone yeah. saying, that guy plays CDM, uh, what are you mm. talking about, CDM, you idiot? Yeah. You know, it's because it's cause my, my kids say CDM because they're allowed to, because the kids, because they don't know any better. But when mm. you hear grown men saying, yeah, that guy plays CDM, I think, well, you're just playing FIFA, mate. You're making all your analysis and observations from a, from a computer game. And I think that's the problem is that, is that it's not just the wages, Dan, is it? It's You have to look at the whole infrastructure of our club's uh, of a club uh, works. Yeah, and th- this is you know this is a modern phenomena in in modern football. You know what I mean? It, it, it's the the whole footballing media structure is is built towards sowing this this unslakeable thirst in in supporters in transfers. I mean, obviously we've we, it's been a bit of a running joke. You know who won the who won the transfer window this summer? And obviously, you know, I think a couple of times Everton have won it and they've had the little open top bus parade and good luck to them and all that. But you know, but. but I think for, for more old school fans like like like, like ourselves, I mean, let's have it right. You know, transfers are important. You know, so, so you know, a lot of some of Liverpool's greatest teams and, and greatest greatest uh, players have come about through shrewd business in the transfer market. Whether it was Albert Stubbins getting a, a message when he was in a cinema in Newcastle in the late forties, I think Everton were after him as well, breaking the British record for Kenny Dalglish in seventy-seven. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to say you Liverpool's. We've always been running on a shoestring, and we've got this kind of you know unique way of doing things. Of course, transfers are, are important, but it is one of the things that kind of winds me up and nauseates me more than anything else about the modern game and modern society. It's this thing about style, style over substance. You know, to be able to go, oh yeah, we've just signed X and what X and so and so for. 200 million and 500 grand a week or whatever. Yeah, but is that guy, is, you know, is that actually going to win you any trophies? You know what I mean? Um, in a football, you know, for some clubs it might work. Real Madrid had that era with the Galacticos and that was their model and they made it work and that that's the nature of them as a club and they won European Cups and the Ligas and all that. And good luck to them. But that's never been who we are as a club or certainly who, you know, how we see ourselves as a club. If we had different owners, it might be different, but Fenway Sports Group, when they came in, very made it very clear that yeah they've got some money that they're, they're not paupers but they haven't got an open checkbook they are not oligarchs they aren't they you know they are not just going to throw money at it willy-nilly like Chelsea and Man City did they are by and large gonna spend what they earn and that you know even at the time that it, that wasn't necessarily what some fans wanted to hear although in 2010 when the club had nearly gone bankrupt I think people were just desperate to get someone in that wasn't Hicks and Gillette but as time goes on and you know and you know 
apart from that League Cup in 2012, the European Cup of 2019 was only the second trophy in nine in, in, in nine years of their tenure. Now, for, for, for some supporters, that might not have been enough. And we all, oh, thanks thanks to things like social media and Twitter and whatever, we know that plenty of them are more than happy to bellyache and cry arse and say, well, stamp their feet, I want so-and-so because I've seen his boss on Football Manager or whatever. But their method, their approach has proven to be correct. And to me, one of the greatest satisfactions of what Liverpool have done in the last few years is that we've done it the right way. You know, you know, I don't feel this is the end of an era. I still think there's plenty more to come from this side. But even if it was to kind of, even if it was to start going downhill now, I take immense satisfaction in the way that we've, by and large, we've balanced our books. We've done it what, I don't want to kind of use the completely cliched Liverpool way because I think that's something that evolves constantly over time. But but I think it's as close to of what a Liverpool way could be in the modern era of multi-million pound football and, and and we've done it that way, and and I, it's not going to change anytime soon. So, it, it, you know, when is it next Tuesday? The, the window ends the thirty first, and if Liverpool don't bring anyone in, you know, there's going to be tears before bedtime for some of our precious little internet dears, and, and there'll be wailing and gnashing of teeth. But I'm more than happy to trust the judgments of Jurgen Klopp and the people who've given us some of the, the greatest times of our lives in the last three or four years than some of these who've never left the box room, apart from to go down to Toys R Us to get the latest FIFA. So, I know there's lots of lovely people and good people who play computer games as well. And I don't want to, you know, be completely generalist, you know, generalised too badly about that. But I just think, look at what they've done in the last couple of years. All right, they've not got everything right. We know we, they made a couple, a couple of cock-ups last year in terms of the market. But by and large, for the last five or six years, they've got a hell of a lot more right than wrong. So trust them. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Well, just on that, um, well, I'll just get your views on uh, on the upcoming game. I mean, a litmus test, obviously, for this Liverpool team this season is going to be. I mean, Norwich and Burnley bring their own uh, degrees of 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 of, of uh, difficulty, but of course, Chelsea, um, big big game. Lukaku doesn't necessarily do much against us, or that I might eat me words when I say that. It's an interesting one, though. Just quickly before we go. Um, you know, we've got this incredible uh, stat about Joel Matip. Liverpool haven't lost in 40-odd games or something with Joel Matip as as as, as a start of the game alongside Van Dijk or as lo- alongside anyone, I guess. Um, would you keep him in knowing that Lukaku's a very, very strong player and we have Konate on the bench? Or would you go with a Konate-Van Dijk? Or would you take that chance of breaking up what's going on? Or where do you think, Dan, quickly... Sorry, Theo, first and then Dan. Where do you think Klopp's going with that? You think it's uh, if it ain't broke, don't try to fix it? Yeah, very much so. Um, Van Dijk, it's the sort of game that you really can test him in, isn't it? Like Up against one of the most informed best strikers in Europe, you can see whether he's still all there, but you want to stick with your tried and trusted. Matip and Van Dijk have formed this great partnership in the past, and it's one where, yeah, he might not look as muscular Matip as a Canate, but he knows the Premier League. It would be a, a big gamble to say, right, uh, Kanate, go and make your Premier League debut against someone like Lukaku. And it's one where th- there was that run, wasn't there, when he always scored against Liverpool, like going back to when he was at West Brom, when he was at Everton. Mm-hmm. And then it's just... A couple in the derby, the 3-3. Three, three, yeah, he got a couple in the derby. I think he scored in the um, Rogers first game, Premier League game, on mm-hmm. his West Brom debut. And it's one where... He, yeah, that was there, horrible there, that 3 0 derby. He does have times where he goes through good runs against Liverpool and you're just hoping it's not starting this weekend but it's going to be one isn't where whoever comes out on top 
Chelsea fans are either going to be saying Lukaku's the best striker in Europe because he's outdone Van Dijk, or Liverpool fans are going to be saying that's shown Van Dijk is still the very best centre-back in Europe because he's just silenced Lukaku. And it's just, well, whoever's next to him, there'll be an afterthought, won't they? It doesn't matter how well Joel Matic plays. It's all about that showdown between Lukaku and Van Dijk. Well, let's hope that takes a bit of pressure off Dan. The same thing, you go with the... With the... Yeah, I, I've, I'm really looking forward to seeing Canate. I think, think the, you know, there's every chance he's going to be a really good player for us. I've got a huge admiration for Joe Gomez, who I think is a, a tremendous footballer. But Virgil van Dijk and Joel Matip is a centre-back partnership that won us the European Cup and the Premier League. You know, Van Dijk is Van Dijk. We've already talked about him at length during this podcast. But Joel Matip is a Liverpool legend as far as I'm concerned. He was a, an enormous miss for us last season. I think even in the couple of games since, since he's been back, his ability to you know to kind of bring the ball forward and these kind of loping passes he plays out to the wing. He's an, a very important part of how the side plays. Bearing in mind, obviously, there is likely to be at least one change in the back four with Robertson coming back in for Simakas. I just don't see any any realistic logic in in, in throwing Canate in for a game like this. So no, absolutely, it, it's it's Van Dijk and Massip uh, to continue against Chelsea. But you know, when when um, Canate's time comes. I'm sure he'll be ready to take it. And, you know, it's a long season. There will be injuries. We know, unfortunately, particularly with Matip and Gomez, the chances of, of either one of them staying fit for, for the course of a full season are slim to none. So, Canati yeah. will get his go, but not on Saturday. It's the Absolutely. way, isn't it, with the centre-backs? It's always, if you're the one in the possession, you keep your place. And it just so happens that all of them, apart from Van Dijk, going back to Lovren and that, had their injury issues. And it was one when they'd be in the form of a live, they'd get an injury and someone else would grab the opportunity. And that's just been that recurring cycle with uh, Van Dijk, go alongside Van Dijk with Matip, Gomez and Lovren. But until Matip has an injury or Van Dijk, Touchwood doesn't, but in case he does get a sat back, it's going to be them two keeping those places. Okay, quick, uh, very, very quick um, prediction scoreline, Theo. Lukaku will score, but Liverpool 2-1. That oh, was my one you've took off me. Go on, Dan. <laughs> I, I was 2-1 as well. Honestly, yeah. I've thinking that all part 2-1. Well, let's hope that is fake then, mate. 2-1 I was going to go for. I feel like Lukaku is going to... Or at least somebody maybe have it is going to sneak around the back. But let's give it to the red men, shall we? Dan K, Theo Squires, thank you once again, boys. Really, really appreciate your input. Appreciate it. Uh, also as well just wanted to say I know Liverpool owners and the club get a bit of stick but um, changing 96th Avenue to 97th Avenue, Avenue was a touch of class in memory of course of Andy Devine Andrew Devine and, uh, and just shows the class uh, and, and that wonderful kind of symbiosis between the fans and the club as well and they're going to do the shirts as well next season but it is of course 97 now um, boys thank you once again for your input really appreciate it whenever you're listening to this uh, I hope you've enjoyed it the Reds are on a great start. Uh, let's hope we can have more of the same at the weekend. Whatever you're listening, if you're listening to Ali LaRouge, Poultry Motion, or any of the lads as well, give them all a listen. They're all really, really interesting listens for you. Keep listening, keep supporting the Reds, and uh, fingers crossed another three points at the weekend. Thank you to Theo Squires and Danke. You've been listening to the Poetry in Motion podcast on the Blood Red channel.